Amen. You guys can have a seat. Um, our kids can head up to be with our team and Redemption kids this morning. And I want to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's life-giving word to the book of Revelation. That's the last book in the Bible. We'll be in chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And as you turn there, I just want to say, I'm really, really proud of you this morning, all right? And you know why I'm proud of you, right? Not only did you make it on Daylight Saving Sunday, the bad one, you know what I'm saying? We love the one in the fall. This one, not so much, right? But, but you made it, and you made it because hopefully it's a reflection of your love for Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can throw the clock ahead four hours, and that's not going to stop us. All right. Um, but not only that, I mean, it was 9 a.m., 8.58, whatever. I'm, I'm rolling out the door, and I put my foot outside and about this I mean it's like it's coming down out there we thought it was just going to be like a coating you know like one to two like one to two is like a couple flakes in Boston right but I mean it's coming down so thank you for prioritizing worship this morning it says something about uh, your hunger for God and I'm thankful for that well um, as we as we continue our uh, time in the book of Revelation specifically these uh, two chapters, chapters two and three, we're looking at these letters that Jesus wrote to specific churches. And as we saw last week, that each letter is for all of the churches, including the churches that would come after these churches, including Redemption Hill Church. And as we come to understand, but not only understand, learn how to live what these messages of Jesus are teaching us, um, it's important to understand a touch of irony that's going on here, okay? And what do I mean? Um, well, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so what's going on is that Jesus shows up in a vision to John, one of his closest disciples, and he helps him to see what is about to come. In other words, he reveals that which John would not have known or seen otherwise. This is how the book begins. If you just want to flip back to chapter 1, and we see in verses 1 and 2, it says this, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he what? Saw, you follow him, right? So, so, so John is seeing that which he did not see because Jesus showed up and revealed it to him. But the touch of irony lands on our hearts when we realize that the key to living out these words of Jesus are all about now what? What we see. What we see. It is by no mistake, and we pointed us out last week, but maybe we're just every seven, all, all seven weeks we're going to talk more and more about it, okay? The letters begin with what? A vision of Jesus, right? And the letters end with a vision of the future, the promises of Jesus to his people. And so 
If we're going to take these messages to get back, get back to the love we had at first, to, as we're going to see this week, be faithful. Be faithful. Keep pressing on. No matter what is swirling around us, how we're going to do that is by what we see. What we see. Perhaps this is the reason why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said that the eye is the lamp of the body. If the eye is healthy, the, the whole, your whole body, your whole life will be full of light. So, so what, what do your eyes see? It's what your eyes see is what's going to carry you through every moment of every day, not just the good ones, but even the really, really, really bad ones. And what's going on with these believers, these followers of Jesus in the church at Smyrna, which was about 35 miles north of Ephesus. The, 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 by the way, the, these seven churches are in order of like a circuit rider. It was started in Ephesus and then moved to the next major city, Smyrna, and on around to the seven churches. But, but, but what we see here is that they're encouraged to be faithful to Christ and to death so that they would receive the crown of life. Be faithful until death and you will receive the crown of life. And as I've been thinking about this, and even last week as we, we, we saw what Jesus had to say to this church in Ephesus, uh, I've really been uh, impressed with this image that God gave me while I was praying with some friends uh, two Fridays ago. So uh, many of you know, and by the way, you're invited. Just let me know if you want to come any Friday morning. Anyone's welcome to come into my living room and pray. We just pray for what's going on in, in our life, in our church, in our city. And, um, and so as we were praying, I just felt impressed to pray for hurting people in our church. And so that's how we spent our time praying. And, um, and, and unexpectedly to me, as I was praying, I just was led by this image of so often, maybe you can identify with this, so often when we are going through difficulty, like these believers in Smyrna, when we're really going through it, what happens in our life is it's like we're walking down stairs and sidewalks after a February winter storm in Boston. Any, anyone just kind of understand what I'm saying? So what, what happens? Maybe this was even you this morning as you're stepping out downstairs on a sidewalk, especially last week with all the snow and ice. What happens is our head is down and we're very carefully trying to step around the ice, maybe that we partially shovel, you know, um, and, and we're trying to find firm footing so that we don't slip and fall. But what's happening is that necessarily our head is down and we're carefully watching each step. Now that's really wise and smart in a winter storm, but that's not what's going to get us through our difficulty. If you think about this, this imagery of, 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 of watching our step with our head down, it, it's like when, when trials come and difficulties come, maybe we're suffering like these Christians at Smyrna. What, what tends to happen is that we put our head down and we're only focused on right now and we're only focused on our current circumstances. But Jesus is saying, look up. 
Look up. Look up like a marathon runner on Marathon Monday, Patriots Day. Who's, yes, life is one foot in front of the other, but our eyes are up on the finish line to what God has for us. He's our vision. He has a reward waiting for us. That's what's going to get us through our current circumstances. That's what's going to enable us to be faithful even until death. And so let's read these words together with that image in mind of what God is calling to us to and saying, look up, be captivated by what you see, what's ahead, what's out in front of you so that you can be faithful in your present circumstances. Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, The devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Heavenly Father, only you know, only you know what's going on in each one of our hearts, in each one of our lives, the circumstances that may be swirling around us. God, I pray many are great and good, but God, I have no doubt that many are very, very difficult, perhaps even reaching the levels of tribulation and suffering. And so, God, we need this word today. And we ask that your Holy Spirit, even as your Spirit speaks through your word, Lord, that your Spirit would speak to us very personally and specifically today to show us how we can lift our eyes and be faithful, faithful to the very end. God, I pray just for an immense hope to fall on our hearts today that comes supernaturally through a divine touch of your Holy Spirit into our minds and hearts that will keep us marching forward. For your name, we pray in Christ. Amen. So I have four encouragements for you, just like I did last week. And a couple are different, but a couple are basically the same. You know, it's the fun, fun part about being a pastor and a preacher is you're kind of looking at it and you're trying to, to tailor it in such a way that's really going to be most helpful, right? So, so to be honest, okay, I'm not here to perform. I'm not here to impress you. I'm not here so that you'll walk away and say, oh, Pastor Tanner, what a great sermon. Now, on my bad days, I, I kind of am concerned about that because <laughs> I'm a human being. But on my best days, I'm most concerned about what God wants to do and how God wants to speak to each one of our hearts, including my own. 
And so the very first point is essentially a replay and a redundancy of last week's first point, which was what? Be captivated by a vision of Jesus. Be captivated by a vision of Jesus. I mean, hopefully you've been thinking more about Christ. You've been thinking about how he's with you. He walks among the seven lampstands. Hopefully you've been thinking about how he holds the the seven angels in his right hand. He has all authority. This vision of Jesus in chapter one, hopefully you've been thinking about him. And your vision of him has been pushing you forward this week, no matter what has been going on. And so be captivated by a vision of Jesus, especially when you suffer. Especially when you suffer. Verse 8 begins, and and Jesus speaks about himself. He, He reveals himself as the first and the last. And we could put, we could like, you know, not to edit the Bible, this is a translation, and some translations would actually, um, some translators would look at this verse, and they would do like the, you know, editors, we have some English teachers here, double line under the L, double line under the F, you need to capitalize that. The first, the last. This is a title of Jesus. This is who he is. He is the first. He is the last. What does that mean? It means that he is before all things and he is after all things. That he is the creator of all things and everything is going to culminate in him. He has the first word. He has the last word. And did you catch in chapter 1, verse 8, that God the Father says what? I am the Alpha and the Omega says the Lord God. What is that Greek alphabet? Alpha, first letter, omega, last letter. And so Jesus, I'm like, don't you love it when, when skeptics or people from other religions, not that we're trying to like fight, we're just trying to help them understand like what we believe in who Jesus is. It's like Jesus never claimed to be God. Not in one place, in many, many, many places, right? So he, he's not only claiming divinity here, but he's helping us see what it means to be divine. I mean, just like, how, how much bigger could he be? What other qualifications would we want to, him to put on his resume? From everlasting to everlasting, he is God. And the words of the psalmist, chapter 90, verse 2. We, we, need, we need a God in our most difficult moments. We need a God who's over it. We need a God who sees the, the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. We need a God who not only is the first and the last, but is the one who died and came to life. I mean, we say this on Easter because it's great to say, but let's say it at other times of the year too. Like every Sunday should be like an Easter Sunday. Every Sunday should be a celebration of life. Every Sunday we should reflect the reality. I mean, if you are in Christ, be encouraged today. Just be encouraged that you are a walking picture of resurrection. God has made you new and now you are alive in him. And so this fact We celebrate every single Sunday, every single day of our lives. And again, why does this matter? 
like think about what's going on with you. You probably already are, but think about what, like, think about difficulty. Think about, I don't know if it's finances or relationships or health or you fill in the blank. I just know that in our fallen world, life is not perfect for you. And the question becomes, like, how are you going to get through it? And Jesus knows, like, what, what's going to get them through it and what's going to get us through it. First, last, who died and came to life. Here's the message, all right? If, if your God can conquer death, your God wins. Your God wins. If Jesus conquers death, then listen, there is nothing. There is never a day, never a situation, never a moment where we cannot run to him. Just absolutely run to him and, and put our burdens before him, put our troubles and our trials and, 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 and doubt for a second that he cannot get us through them. If he can get through death, he can get us through whatever we face. That's really, really good news. There is nothing we will face in this life that this one single life-changing cosmos authoring reality of the resurrection won't get us there. Jesus being alive is not an Easter platitude. It is the essence of our faith and what will get us through every day, not just in the hard, but in the really, really good. I don't know how I'd go out this afternoon and love my family. And I don't know how I'd go out tomorrow morning and represent Jesus apart from this reality. Jesus is alive. If that doesn't do something to your soul right now, you know what I'm saying? Like, wow, thank you, God. And what I love, we were praying in pre-service prayer, and I just want to throw this word in here, okay? So um, if you're taking notes, be captivated. Here's another one. Be awestruck. Be awestruck. Like we just, you know, words kind of lose their, their punch because we, we use them so often, but we were reading Psalm 65 this morning and we were praying over Psalm 65 and it talks about the awesome deeds of God. It's like awesome, that's awesome. That's awesome. Hey, you're awesome. Everything is awesome, man. So that's awesome. Man, the snow has awesome snow, man. It's like, wow. To, for something to be awesome, means it creates awe in you. Wow. Like, you, you, there's a sense of wonder, a sense of amazement, that, that you are struck by something that creates a sense of awe and wonder because it is so beautiful, so glorious, so powerful. So I just want to point you back, even as we were praying, and the Lord just was reminding me that when people were going through difficulty and suffering, they need a great high priest, yes, Jesus, and they need a king. A priest, like someone who understands, who, who, who will enter in with you, who will suffer alongside of you. He who has a robe and a sash around his waist, that's priestly garments. And the one who holds everything in his right hand. That's authority. He's the king. He's in control. I'll move on to point two. Be captive. First, be captivated. 
by a vision of Jesus when you suffer. Then number two, listen, do not fear. Do not fear Jesus is present when you suffer. Once again, in verse 9, the first two words out of Jesus' mouth, which if you look at these letters carefully, what you're going to find is after he introduces himself in a very powerful way, the first two words every single time are guess what? You with me? Guess. I know. There we go. Thank you. I know. He, what is it? He knows their tribulation, their poverty, and, and how they're being slandered. And so again, I just want to keep saying this, that, that, that each letter holds truth for all the other letters. So when we saw last week that Jesus is among the churches, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, those are the churches. He is with us. He's with us in our suffering. He's present among us by his Holy Spirit. Um, as one uh, scholar pointed out very pastorally this week, he said, one of the most discouraging effects of suffering is that we feel alone. We feel alone. Think about your, your suffering. No one understands. They, they, they're not going through what I'm going through. And we believe these lies and we, we justify our silence. And, and yet we... Even if we feel alone, we're never alone because Jesus is with us. But not only that, Jesus is with us by his presence in one another, right? So this is, this is part of the beauty of community. This is why a church is a church, right? A church is just a collection of people who come together and are committed to one another. This is what the power of we is all about, this vision for our year, that we would grow stronger in our relating to one another, in our unity that we're really caring for and concerned. This is why we don't want to just get together on Sundays. But listen, even if you haven't connected with a group all year, not just like 2019, but even back to the fall when we relaunched our community groups, hey, this week is a great time to start. Do not feel bad about that at all. But just jump in a group. Why? Because we need one another. We need to share life. We need to know that we are not alone. And this knowledge that Christ is with us brings such a great comfort and it should also create such a gratitude to well up in our hearts. Jesus is with us and he says, I get it. And how can he say that? Because our God, unlike any other God, can I just tout how amazing our God, the one true God is here this morning, is the only God who entered time and space, who took on human flesh, and so when Hebrews 4.14 says, for we do not have a great high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every way was tempted just as we are yet without sin, what he's saying is Jesus understands. Jesus has walked a mile in your shoes. Wait, more than a mile. There's nothing you will face that he doesn't understand and know. What does he know? He knows about... First, the tribulation. This can also be translated affliction or pain. It, it points to the, the, the experience of suffering and persecution that these Christians were facing, not only at the hands of the Romans, all right, who ruled the day, but also at the hands of their, their, their Jewish um, uh, people that many of them shared the same bloodlines, the same ethnicity, but now a different view of who God is. And, and so the Jews also were starting to, to, to persecute them. 
Hard times were present and hard times were going to escalate. And Jesus, essentially, the next two terms really expound their tribulation, their affliction. He says first that he knows their poverty. And you say, like, man, I don't have much money. I'm like, I, you know. But what's going on here is not just, like, economic hard times, you know? Like, the job report was down, you know, exports had fallen, you know, it was a bearish market, you know? That's not what's happening for these Christians, they were experiencing economic hardship because of the fact that they were being persecuted. Christian applies for a job, gets bypassed for someone else. Time to collect some taxes, let's take a little more off the top from them. Come to the marketplace, uh, $2 for you, $10 for you. Christians were the minority culture in Smyrna. But as we think about what they were going through in their poverty, well, let's, just, let's just think about poverty for just a moment in, in light of what Scripture says and in light of what we know to be true. And actually what every human heart longs for deep down and, and when we're at our best. Number one, poverty is a reality, right? I mean, Jesus said it before he died. He said, like, you will always have the poor among you. This is a reality that in our fallen world is not going to go away. But at the same time, we don't just rest content with that, okay? That's not a part of God's original design. That's not how it's going to be in the end. And so we don't just sit back and accept it, but we work to alleviate suffering and poverty among us in every way. Like we put meals on the table. We put coats on people's backs. We take what belongs to us and we give it to someone else. But then number three, Jesus helps us see that there is something far worse than material or physical poverty. And it is infinitely worse. And that is spiritual poverty. And we, we see that because he says, hey, I know your poverty, but then like, and don't you just love how encouraging Jesus is? Like, this tells us who our God is. If you don't think, like, God wants to speak some words of life and comfort and encouragement to you, then I don't know what Bible you're reading. You know what I'm saying? Like, he, he's encouraging. I know how poor you are, but you are rich. You're rich. I, I was sitting in uh, Dunkin' Donuts after Friday morning prayer, and I was actually working on finishing this up and some other things I needed to get done. I was, uh, actually, it was Trent's birthday. Everybody say happy birthday to Trent. Yeah. Come on, happy. We ain't gonna sing, I can't leave that song. Uh, but uh, I, was, I was leaving him. What did what I send you, Trent? It was an audio message, right? So sometimes we do that text thing, sometimes we do that audio message thing. So I dropped this audio message, and this guy, like five feet away, had no clue that he was kind of like overhearing what I was saying to Trent. I'm not ashamed, you know, so I'm just I'm dropping this song about Jesus. I'm not, I wasn't singing, but I was speaking about, you know, God, what God's doing in his Trent life, so thankful for him, what God's got ahead, and a happy birthday. And, um, and so he kind of smiles at me, and, and basically it's like, that was really nice. And so, you know, I'm just like, hey, what's your name? We get to talking. Clearly, this guy was suffering. 
He didn't have much. So I just said, hey, let me, let me buy a coffee. And uh, did that, got some breakfast. And we just sat down and talked. And I got to hear his story and what's going on with him and about his family and just how hard life is for him right now. And, and I said, hey, this is going to, because he was like, to my pleasant surprise, he's a believer in Christ. You know, like I'm thinking maybe I can share some words of hope with him and point him to Christ. And because he had Jesus, guess what I did? I shared some words of hope with him and pointed him to Christ. Because the gospel is for believers and just as much as not believers. But I said, this is going to blow you away. I said, this is, this is what I'm talking about in my church this Sunday. He, he's going to come soon, I think. I know what Jesus says to you. I know your poverty, but you are rich. He was overwhelmed. Tears well up in his eyes. We're the two richest people in the room. Amazing. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 6. We're treated as poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. It does not matter how much money you have in the bank, even if you have a bank account. Jesus says, if you know me, you are filthy rich. Filthy rich. Stacks on stacks on stacks on stacks. Tell that to your friends. Who's that, soldier boy? I don't listen. Just look right in their mind. So, so Jesus knows, right? He encourages them. He encourages your rich. Keep pressing on. And then he says, I also know how you, you're being slandered. When someone slanders you, they say false things about you to tear you down, to, to damage your reputation. And, and again, this is not the Romans who are... Who are leveling these accusations and charges against the Christians is actually the religious Jews. And why were they doing that? Well, historically, we know that Jews enjoyed certain protections by the Romans. In other words, the Romans allowed the Jews to be exempt from the worship of Caesar, the emperor. But all other religions had to fall in line. And so, you know, because Jesus was a Jew and, you know, Christians believed that this is the fulfillment of all Judaistic hopes in Christ. Like, there was such a close association that everyone just is like, the Christianity is just a sect of Judaism, and so if, if they're good, then they're good. And, but, but what started to happen is that out of jealousy and, and hate, the Jews started ratting out the Christians. They started throwing them under the bus. Hey, they don't believe the same things that we do. They're not with us. Make them worship your God. And the persecution started ramping up. And I love how, I mean, Jesus is like, Jesus is so loving. He's so encouraging, but he's also so honest and so just. And so he says, like, these people say they're Jews, but they're not really Jews. In other words, 
they're, they're Jews in name only, but if you look deeper in the heart, they do not share the faith of Abraham. They're not looking to the Messiah, hello, me, who has now fulfilled all of these hopes. That's what Paul says in Romans 2, by the way, if you want to study further. And so Jesus says, not only are they not Jews, they are actually, check it out, a synagogue of Satan, verse 9. If you are not with me, you are actually working with my greatest enemy, Satan himself. And so we can see here that it wasn't popular. It wasn't popular for the Christians in Smyrna to represent Jesus. It wasn't popular for them. It it was costly. There was a price to them professing Christ for, for being faithful to Jesus. And listen, I don't, I don't know what this looks like for you. Perhaps, I, I mean, I know we don't live in a culture that is as hostile as, as this one was in the first century by, by, by any stretch of the imagination. And yet, I know and you know that when you take a stand for Christ, you will stand out. And so maybe it's family relationships. Maybe it's, it's, it's colleagues at work. Maybe it's just friends that like when conversation comes up that, that expose differing values that come against your Christian conviction and then you speak up or you represent Christ or you talk about Jesus because you love them so much. It's like there's always a risk, right, of like stereotyped, ostracized, marginalized. And this is the world we live in. And I think what we need to hear in part is what Paul, Paul says to, to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12. He says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life, I hope that's you, in Christ Jesus, what does he say? Will be persecuted. It's coming. People, people will be like, and listen, it's not that they hate us because they ain't us. They hate us because they hate God. And I know even when I say that, it's kind of like Jesus, synagogue of Satan. Like, that sounds strong, Jesus. Tanner, hate us because they hate God. That sounds strong. Who hates God? Everyone who doesn't bow the knee to God. Because, like, I know I'm throwing out a lot of scripture today, but like Psalm 2, what is it? Like, God is king, and, and, and it says, like, all humanity says, get off me. Break these bonds. Like, I don't want to follow what you say. I want to follow what I say. Therefore, I don't love you. I'm not going to be devoted to you. I'm going to be devoted to me. So we just remember. We just remember that that as as people oppose us, it's it's, it's really not a a personal thing as much as it is 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 a spiritual reality of where they are before God. So we need to remind one another of what Jesus says here. He says, do not fear what you're about to suffer. I love the picture. After John experiences revelation of Jesus in chapter 1, and he's overwhelmed. And by the way, when people see a vision of God, what usually happens? They're like, they're going to (laughs) die because God is so holy and perfect. It's like none of us can, can stand in his presence. And yet... When John fell as though he was dead before Jesus, what does Jesus do? He comes and he puts his hand on his back. 
and he says, fear not. Fear not. And so no matter what you're going through, no matter who is opposing you, Jesus is coming behind you. He's putting his hand on your back and he's saying, fear not. Do not be afraid of what you're experiencing now or what you will suffer because I am with you. Which then encourages us to be faithful to Jesus until the very end. Not only, not only not to, to fear, that's, that's the first step, but, but then out of that, that fearlessness, then we're faithful to Christ until the very end. It, it says here that Satan is going to ramp up the persecution. And it says it's going to come in the form of imprisonment. And, and, and this, this, thankfully, it seems clearly is that this intensification of persecution is only for a season because it says that this tribulation will last, what is it verse 10, 10 days. And this could have been a literal 10 days, but more than likely, it was a symbolic of just a short season. And what's going on here? Don't you love how robust the Bible is and how just dynamic and, and how it's echoing one another and it's helping us understand in deeper ways that this is an echo of Daniel 1 when Daniel was exiled in Babylon and he was called to be faithful to an ungodly king, Nebuchadnezzar. And the king said, eat my food. And Daniel and his friends said, hey, we're not going to eat your food. And he says, like, hey, just test us for what? Ten days and see if our God doesn't come through. And so this reality of a, of a testing was there in Daniel, and now it's here again. The, 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 as the Christians in Smyrna were called to be faithful to another king, another emperor, Jesus says, be faithful to God. And that know that, that even as Satan comes against you, by the way, behind evil people is the evil one, right? Even as Satan comes against you, God is working in the midst to actually test you. I mean, don't you love, and if you don't believe this, just look at the cross of Christ, right? Don't you love how that God can take the most difficult situations and circumstances and turn them for our good? And so how this happens here is that, hey, they're going to be in prison, but, but Jesus says, like, in your testing, in your imprisonment, guess what's happening? As you remain faithful to Christ, you are showing the world that your faith is genuine and Jesus is real. He's really worth suffering for. He's even worth dying for. And so Jesus says, be faithful unto death. And for some of these, as we would know from church history, Polycarp, John's disciple, second century, many other Christians would die for their faith. And yet, we ask, like, how could Jesus command this of us? How could he say, be so courageous to, to even face death and die for me if it comes to that? And there are at least two good reasons. Two really, really, really good reasons. Number one, Jesus is better. He's, he's better than even if it cost us our life. Honoring him, right? Hon Philip Dodgers was an 18th century uh, hymn writer, and, and he said this. He said, um, I am more afraid of doing what is wrong than of dying. 
Look at that faithfulness. I would rather, listen, let me put in a question. Would you rather die than dishonor Christ? Would you rather die than dishonor Christ? He's that good. He's that worthy. So, so yes, we can be faithful even unto death. But then number two, which is even the greater reason, or, or equally great, is that we remember what? What will verse 8 tell us? First and last, who died, came to life. I'm about the third, third reason up in there. Sec, Jesus was faithful unto death. Jesus had been there. Jesus experienced suffering even to the point of Roman crucifixion so that in his death we might have his life. That is the gospel. That is the very center of our faith. And so if you've experienced salvation in Christ, life in Christ, then how could, how could we not say, Jesus, I'm just looking at you and I'm seeing what you've done for me and I will do the same. And oh, by the way, third reason, you rose from the dead and so will I. So will I. God, help us to be faithful to you. This is, this is, this is our whole call as Christians, just day by day by day, faithfulness. What is faithfulness? It's being so full of faith that we're constant in our loyalty to him that nothing, nothing deters us from following Christ. Nothing. This is what a, a first kind of love is about, what we talked about last week. Get back, get back to the love you had at first, a love that was so passionately zealous for Jesus, so devoted to him that nothing could stop your devotion, even death. faithful to the very end. And then we take hold of Jesus' promise of life. Take hold of Jesus' promise of life. Verse, verses 10, by the way, sometimes this happens when you're reading the Bible. Verses 10 and 11 are basically saying the same thing. Be faithful unto death and you will receive the crown of life. He who has ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches, let him hear. To the one who conquers, he will not be heard by the second death. Who is the one who conquers? The one who is faithful. Who will not be heard by the second death? The one who receives the crown of life. And so it was just the promise of resurrection, that, that hope that we have, that ultimate hope that guides us through every moment of our suffering. That if death will not defeat us and that life is ahead, then, then we chase after it. That's what we, the, the words we used last week, point four last week, in case you weren't here, now you have that point. All right, chase after Jesus' promises, and now we're taking hold, right? Because taking hold means we're going we're gonna to hold on to it. We're not going to let go of what God has promised. It's going to motivate us. It's going to keep us moving forward to be faithful to So what I want to do just to wrap up our time is, is this. 
I want you to consider what's going on with you right now. My assumption is that to one degree or another, in your suffering, in your circumstances, in your troubles, whatever they may be, there has been too much of this and not enough of this. And so perhaps the best thing that you could do today is just even right now, because we don't come to church to consume or spectate, we come to worship and respond. That'll pray. Thank you, Lord. And so this is a moment to respond. To say, God, now I'm coming to you. All of these things that are bothering me, that are troubling me, that are weighing me down, the people around me that are against me, God, I'm giving them to you. And as you do that, you're looking up. And as you do that, your vision is changing. And as you do that, your ability to persevere and be faithful just goes up. And so I just want to ask you in these moments, hey, turn it over to Christ. And then this week, maybe even before you leave, this is legal, by the way, to hang out after and to get into some conversations and like, you know, maybe somebody's going to go to lunch, maybe not. But um, hey, how did God speak to you? What's going on with you? How can I bear this burden with you? That's why we are so let's pray together. Father, it's sobering to consider the suffering in our lives that we face. But God, we are, we are so comforted. We are so encouraged here this morning that no matter what it is, you are the first and the last. No matter what it is, you have overcome death. And so God, may it be that vision that moves us forward just to come to you and bring our cares and our concerns and our anxieties and our burdens and our suffering and say, God, I can't do this on my own. I need you. Thank you for being with me. Strengthen me for today and tomorrow as I look to you. And God, that then we would not only do that for ourselves, but that we would help others do that, that we would pray together, that we would not just say, I'm going to pray for you, but that we would actually pray for one another, that we would check up, that we would be concerned, that your love would so fill us, the love of Christ, that we would just pour it out to the people around us. God, make us faithful. We can't be faithful apart from your grace. We need your help. We pray all this in the name of Christ.